Two spots in the final four have been claimed, and we are ready to talk all about what Florida Atlantic and UConn have done on a Saturday of the Elite Eight in this 2023 Big Dance, the NCAA Tournament. Welcome into the nation's college basketball show and podcast. It is college basketball coast to coast. I am the somewhat capable host. Uh, Late night here on Saturday night into Sunday, we are churning out more takes and insight prior to two more spots for the Final Four up for grabs with San Diego State playing Creighton in the South Regional Final in Louisville and Miami and Texas will be the final piece. Who goes out of the Midwest Regional in Kansas City? We're going to find all of this out. Uh, coming up on Sunday, but we're in the recap mode for Saturday where Florida Atlantic has pulled out another win. The champions of Conference USA have now won the East Regional, have knocked off Kansas State and made the Final Four their first time ever to win an NCAA tournament game in the 2023 tournament. Why don't you go ahead and win four of them and make the Final Four? It's remarkable what Dusty May's team has done. We're going to talk to Ari Russell, who was right there inside of Madison Square Garden, get his thoughts on college basketball coast-to-coast about this uh, win by FAU, the Owls, out of Boca Raton, Florida, and how they beat a a very valiant Kansas State team. Once again, Marquise Noel, the outstanding little point guard, had a fantastic game, but it wasn't enough. Florida Atlantic was better. They are legit. Ari will tell us more about it. He was there at the Garden on Saturday night. Also coming up, Matt Zimmick will be here. We love Matt's insight on college basketball as a historical perspective. He is, as I like to designate him, our West Coast guru, our go-to guy. Uh, Matt's got insight on what happened to Gonzaga on Saturday night. What happened to him is they got run over by a freight train spelled U-C-O-N-N-U-C-O-N, abbreviated. The Huskies are back in the Final Four, and it's like the fourth time they've won the West Regional to do it. They win in Las Vegas. They move on. And we'll get Matt's thoughts on that. And Matt will also have some Western thoughts on San Diego State playing in this game on uh, on Sunday from a Western point of view. By the way, Ari Russell's a Miami alum. You're going to hear him glowing about his Hurricanes and their chances in the Elite Eight. All of that's upcoming. Let me remind you that however and wherever you have found us, thank you for doing so. Social media link through the last word on sports.com and their podcast arm uh, all of uh, all of the different help there. Make sure you're following or subscribing because the great content keeps going before and after these NCAA tournament games. We'll be back on Sunday night, obviously, to recap whatever happens with San Diego State, Creighton, and Houston against, uh, or I'm sorry, Miami against Texas. We'll recap all of that. We'll go to the Final Four in Houston. Tyler Jones and I will be there with many others. Uh, in uh, Houston, Texas, for the Final Four, we already know we have Florida Atlantic. We already know have we have Connecticut. Who else joins those two teams? We'll be there live starting on Saturday with a great Final Four preview. We'll be there Friday and Saturday. Saturday's got the big preview. Uh, Saturday night recap, Sunday show, Monday preview, Monday night recap, all of it from Houston on College Basketball Coast to Coast. So follow or subscribe wherever you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Etc. and streaming on TuneIn as well. The TuneIn channel by this name, College Basketball Coast to Coast, and our logo. Search for it under TuneIn Premium. We are right there at College Basketball Coast to Coast. Without further delay, let's talk more about what Florida Atlantic has done on Saturday to make their way to the Final Four and do that right now. As mentioned, here he is. He was right there in the world's most famous arena once again as Madison Square Garden was the site and Florida Atlantic makes history as the latest of the upstart lower-seeded teams to get all the way to the Final Four. What a performance by Dusty May's team. John L. Davis and company 
win over Kansas State and advance to Houston, Texas for the 2023 Final Four. And Ari Russell is back aboard with me, my wingman for the better part of 20 years, Sirius XM on tune in been at the final four with me a bunch been at the regional finals a bunch all right it ends 79 76 for florida atlantic you saw it from court side tell me more about how florida atlantic's improbable run got done on saturday night ari well there's a couple of things here but the big one is is the rebounding discrepancy uh 44 rebounds total for florida atlantic 22 mm. for kansas state Listen to second chance points. 15 for FAU, two for Kansas State. That's an impressive discrepancy mm -hmm. right there. That, that's one of the major differences, which is funny because if you look at it on the flip side of that as well, the turnover discrepancy in favor of Kansas State. Florida Atlantic had 22 turnovers. It's a lie. And Kansas State had 12 um, turnovers. And uh, that's a 10 differential. And Honestly, that's probably what kept Kansas State in this game and made it closer was that discrepancy. They got completely decimated on the boards and second chance points. Um, Florida Atlantic was nine of 23 for three. Uh, you know, Kansas State hit 10 threes as well. They, they shot better for three, 10 for 22. Um, but it was the timing of the shots. It was just going to the hoop, taking it strong to the hoop. Keontae Johnson in foul trouble. Noel really probably trying to do too much at the end. It didn't seem like anyone was moving around on offense for Kansas State. Were they gassed? Were they just out physically matched in a game uh, against a team that really has been showing that they'll punch you in the mouth? A team that's also very deep with guards, uh, and all of them can play and all of them can shoot. And all very unselfish team. Um, obviously, they've got the big guy. Vlad Golden, who had a great game today, mm -hmm. 13 points. I believe he had seven rebounds, and I think he had he had two assists. Most of those, those he had the double. He actually the had the double half. double. Officially, 14 points, 13 oh, 14, rebounds, 13 rebounds. That's what two I meant. Two assists, right. two yes. blocks, and a couple of key moments, including a key offensive rebound late in the game that we yep. will get to. Uh, the thing I keep coming back to is these guys are legit. Florida Atlantic. They could have folded up against Memphis in the opening round, but they outplayed my Tigers. Yes, I have to verbalize that again and won the game on the Russ Boyd layup at the end. They could have folded as you were in the building on Thursday night against Tennessee, a big physical team, but they completely outplayed them in the second half. And here, Kansas State comes out of the locker room down four and really surges and takes the lead and controls the first seven or eight minutes. So that begs the follow-up. How did Florida Atlantic take it from them in the last 12 minutes and outplay Kansas State? You kind of let in about the rebounding, but it's also about making shots, and yep. it's also about making free throws, which Kansas yeah, State did not. I mean, what else, Ari? Yeah, well, I, I mean, really, it was Keontae Johnson really the, the second option for this Kansas state team offensively kind of the first option too, as far as, you know, off the ball type player. Um, he was only played 18 minutes because he was in foul trouble. You know, he collected his fourth foul kind of almost slightly before midway of the second half. Um, so, and then he got his fifth foul, I think before the under four timeout. So he didn't really play as enough of an, a stretch or enough of stretches in this game for there to be any rhythm or any type of 
cohesion that he and Noel normally have. They just weren't able to get in any type of rhythm. That was a huge play. And I said that in the, and I and I tweeted it out uh, on the on the uh, Twitter on a Twitter mm-hmm. about about that about that those two fouls early. That's a key one. He's out here, and you can notice that the Kansas State offense is not as prolific. It doesn't move around as much without Johnson because he can shoot the three. He's also a really good mid range player. He's a slashing type guard. Um, you know, just just a very tough player to guard and defend. But he only played eighteen minutes. That was a huge benefit for Florida Atlantic's defense because he's a guy they didn't have to worry about because he was on the bench with foul trouble. Um, and I think that was one of the major differences today. Uh, it forced Noel to have to do everything and do all the scoring. Um, and I don't think that was something that that's something that I think that uh, Florida Atlantic would take because it's like let this five eight guy have to go in and try to score everything because their other best offensive player isn't going to play. And so that's a little bit of luck. You don't know how a game's going to be called um, as well. And it does take luck and pluck, as Andrew Carnegie would say, to, to be <laughs> successful. And that definitely translates into college basketball as well at this point. And Florida Atlantic got some luck on the fouls and the whistles. And they had plenty of pluck today as well. All right, more on Noel, who again finished with 30 and 12 more assists. What a weekend for him. We're going to talk more about the final play and him giving the ball up in a couple of moments. I want to go back to John L. Davis, who has been one of the best-kept secrets really all the way until March in college basketball. And now more and more people are knowing about that name in the Conference USA title game. He was great. In this tournament, he's been great. Not spectacular points, 13 points, but uh, eight rebounds, six assists, and he got arguably the biggest bucket in the final minute and a half. They got an offensive rebound. I want to say they got fouled, and then they got a free throw rebound, and John L. Davis's bucket put them up by two scores. This guy, you've watched him for two games. Tell me more about John L. Davis, please. You know, me and Deshaun Tate, another one of our colleagues, mm-hmm. talking about it. it. Just He definitely has a pro game. I mean, it, just the way that he just kind of – he just plays under a tremendous amount of control and poise. He just looks like he's better than everyone on the court. Just the way he dribbles and how he just stop, his, his, his lateral movements. And, and just he just has a complete game, a uh, high basketball IQ as well. He's not a selfish player. Um, you know, he probably could be a little bit more selfish, um, but it's hard to argue against a team with a, one, probably one of your best players who's possibly a pro to be more selfish when they're onto the final four. Mm-hmm. So I think he's playing just right within the elements of how this team should be playing. And it has been, has been playing, but, but he's a spectacular player. He's just fun to watch the ball in his hands. You know, you would think if he was on any other team, even, you know, team that might have uh, other multi-star five four five stars you know I, I think he'd be one of the better two players on that team and probably would be uh given a green light more uh, i he might have a green light but it's hard to tell the, the coach the coach of this team has done a tremendous job uh unbelievable uh by dusty May. just yep it just how he substitutes in and his guards come in and you know they, they're interchangeable parts there's a lot of guards they they do a lot of substituting they exert a lot of Attention on defense, especially on the perimeter, uh, putting pressure on the opposition's guards. But but John L. Davis, going back to him, all-around player, great defensive player, uh, just high basketball IQ. 
and, and he's fun to watch just having the ball in his hands because he really can take it to the hoop. He can, he's not the best shooter. I had, I didn't see a great shooting display from him here at Madison square garden. Uh, it seems like he's capable because he has kind of the mechanics for it. Uh, but, but really a player that, that I think is going to be getting more looks and more recognition, especially now he's going to be on the biggest stage in Houston. Um, a, a player that you got to really mark at every time he's out there. Love this man's insight. Ari Russell with us on College Basketball Coast to Coast was inside Madison Square Garden for the unlikely East Regional win by Florida Atlantic in what is a wide-open, crazy, unpredictable 2023 tournament, a team that had never won an NCAA tournament game before this year has now won four of them, Florida Atlantic, to go to the Final Four and again, uh, Dusty May, 35-win season here, remarkable season in his third year, a former Indiana basketball manager under Bobby Knight and, and under Mike Davis as, as kind of like a graduate assistant coach. And in 20 years, he's progressed to a head coaching job. What a job by FAU as uh, as they get this victory tonight. And again, Ari Russell, you, you've been around this. We both have been around this watching the likes of Loyola Chicago recently in 2018, making the run to a Final Four. Uh, before that, Wichita State, who was also a nine seed, made an incredible run uh, with that team into the 2023, or the 2013 Final Four, excuse me. We saw Virginia Commonwealth and Butler both make a run in 2011 uh, to get in there. Uh, Virginia Commonwealth doing so out of the first four uh, and then going all the way to the Final Four, and then all the way back to George Mason 17 years ago, and we're going to talk about Jim Laranega in Miami in a few minutes. But, I mean, we've now seen this enough times to know everybody's got players, and mid-major teams can go compete with and beat the big boys and make the Final Four. Just give me a follow-up. Here it is once mm -hmm. again, Ari. Yeah, I mean, it did kind of remind me of the George Mason run in a way. Uh, I bet this team has, I think – so this team won 30, has won 35 games. I mean, George Mason was a bubble team when they were as an at-large. This team's won 35 games. Like, this is a little different. You know, I understand they're in conference, you would say, by no means a power conference anymore. Used to be at one point uh, when your boys were in it. Mm -hmm. um, but but they're, they're kind of a lower conference. But, but when anytime you can win 30 games in general – it's it's just pretty pretty impressive. So you know this isn't a team that just kind of backed in or just got lucky off of a at large for from a mid major conference. No, this is a team that has been dominant all year um, and has obviously shown at this level that they're they're ready to play with the big boys. And today they, you know, on the big stage at the Mecca, played as as you know as good of a game as you could and knocked off uh, the three seed Kansas State, who many people were saying on uh, Thursday evening. Could be a team to cut down the nets. Well, that ain't going to happen. They didn't even cut down the nets here. Mm. Uh, that's for FAU. And now, you know, they're going to go into the into Houston thinking that they could win this whole thing. Yeah. They're not playing like they're just happy to be here. Yeah, you know, you're exactly like they, right. <laughs> they, are, they are playing with belief. That's well said. Yeah. They are playing like they believe they can win the whole thing, and that makes them yeah. a dangerous team. All right, let's go to the end sequence of the game. As I made reference to earlier, again, I want your yeah. thoughts because you were right there. FAU gets the big offensive rebounds, two of them, and they burn some clock, and then John L. Davis puts them up by more than three with the layup. All right, mm -hmm. then uh, at the other end, Noel's able to get a hoop and, ma and make the game a one-point game. They foul, 
And uh, Forrest makes the free throws for Florida Atlantic to put them up three. So that sets up the in sequence where Noel comes across the timeline down three. And I'm still shocked. Uh, we're doing this a while after the game's over. I'm still shocked he gave the ball up with a couple of seconds left and they don't even get a shot off. And by the way, it's John L. Davis who stripped the ball from the other player. How stunned were you courtside that the all everything guard from Harlem in Madison Square Garden in the biggest moment gave the ball up? Ari, pick it up from there. I I, I think a lot of that had to do with the pressure that that moment had, but also the physical pressure that FAU put on him, guarding him. I, was he going to be able to get off a clean shot? I don't think so. So he probably gave it up to someone else who wasn't ready to get the ball at that point because they probably were waiting for him to take the shot. Uh, I think he was probably thinking at this point, um, I think he was thinking of possibly because he was going to be so heavily guarded that someone else was going to be more open. Uh, but it didn't turn out that way. They just did a really good job also on defending it. To me, it just seemed like that was out of sorts. And I'm surprised that, um, and I didn't hear in the press conference because maybe they asked him, uh, the coach Tang, that question. Uh, but, but did they create a play when they called that timeout before fouling to get, um, uh, you know, to get those foul shots before they got the ball in down three, um, I'm wondering that because that's the type of thing. It's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is the play we're going to run after we foul. It just didn't seem like there was any play that was run. It was like, here's the ball, and everyone just kind of froze up. Some of that has to do with Florida Atlantic's defense and yes, the pressure does. that they put on. Uh, they they pretty much like almost double or triple team. I forced thought, him to can really- I interject? I thought for a yeah. half second, Ari, that he was going to try to pull up and shoot from like 35 feet, like right across midcourt for like one half second. I thought he's going to try the Steph Curry launch or some other launch. But then he gave the ball up. And uh, yeah. again, credit FAU's defense and their length. They're, they're longer, taller. Uh, on the perimeter than I think a lot of people understand, too. They have pieces. They, this is not an accident. We keep saying this. I didn't predict this. You didn't predict this. Millions didn't predict this. But this is not something that accidentally happened. They're not undeserving. They're talented. Wow. And they guarded Kansas State when it mattered at the end yep. of this game uh, and, and won it. Uh, okay, so we know now they are in uh, Houston while I have you here, I should say to the audience on College Basketball Coast to Coast that Ari Russell is a Miami alum. So I've got before you're gone, I've got to get out of you that for Sunday, it is Miami and Texas in Kansas City coming up. Uh, give me uh, give me a thought with the Canes a step away from the Final Four where they've never been. This is your you. This is your school. This is yeah. a chance to be there. Give me a thought or two. Oh, man. Um I think it's it's a little bit of a different scenario, you know, back to back elite eights for Miami. Uh, first time they've ever done that. For, this is only the second elite eight back to back years that they're doing it. Um, but this is a different team from last year for a couple of reasons. Okay, last year they lost to Kansas, the eventual national champion, of course, who was the one seed at the time. Um, Miami was. Uh, what were they? I think they were uh, seven or ten seed last year. They had beaten um, the two seed Auburn pretty badly in the second round to make it to the Sweet Sixteen, and beat the eleven seed Iowa State pretty well, pretty pretty handily in the Sweet Sixteen. Um, but in this case, they escape a, a really tight game against Drake to pull away 
who's the 12 seed there, the five Miami, obviously. Second round, they're playing IU, who's the four seed. And they dominate that game too, pretty much from tip to tail. And then they play the one seed, Houston, another team that's, you know, obviously was considered a national title contender. A lot of people thought could be cutting down the nets in their hometown. And they dominated that game too, almost tip to tail um, as well. This is a different team than it was a year ago going into the lead eight. Now, Texas has done a remarkable job after firing their coach. Uh, it's it's amazing yep. the interim coach hasn't been pulled away yet. Um, they obviously handled Xavier pretty pretty darn well last night. Uh, that was or on uh, on uh, you're right Friday on Friday night, night, night Friday as we're night, talking rather. right yep right. Um, you know they've got size, they've got athleticism, they've got a lot of guards as well. Um, they have a significant injury, and it looks like Disu, one of the guards, yeah. is not going to be able to play. He is iffy at best to even play, and how effective would he be? But they've got Marcus Carr. They've got guards, and so you've got Big Wong guys. and Pack against their guards. Big-time guard matchup here. You always say this. We always talk about this. Guards win you these games yeah. in March, and it may come down to the guard play in this one. Well, here's the thing about Miami, though. I mean, they were really good last year. They're better this year as a team, uh, offensively in particular. I mean, last year they were really good offensively as well, but this year they've got all five starters. You can't double-team anyone on that starting five at all because, you, you know, you you got Wooga Poplar now. And last year, again, like, they had more. They had McGusty. But it's just something different with the way that the offense runs now. I think a lot of it has to do with with Poplar. Uh, being really that third guard in there. And then Miller, who's kind of a Swiss Army knife, who's 6'7", kind of plays power forward, but he's really a guard. So, And there's another matchup problem there. Uh, and then they've got Omir in the paint. And Omir has shown that, you know, he's a bully. And he, he's not only just a bully, he's not like an old, just an old school, like Big East type, you know, uh, gritty guy in the middle. He's very athletic. He, he's got hops. He's only 6'7" but he's like six, seven in both directions. Uh, the, the guy is, is a beast. And we saw in that Houston game, I mean, he was grabbing yeah. boards, both ends ankles, a little tweaked, but he's still getting double doubles each game. Um, you know, all five guys can put the ball into hoop. They probably are the best outside of, uh, well, I thought Kansas state was one of the better offensive teams, but Creighton is still left, um, you know, as we speak, um, those hey, are the I haven't best. talked to you. I haven't talked to you about this, but you put 89 points on Houston, who had not given up 80 all year long. That I mean, that says offense for Miami, and this is going to be a game about offense. Who can get that's, that offense rolling? Well, that's the thing. Like, what can Texas do to disrupt the Miami offense? Uh, I don't know what they can do. They could. They've got guys. But what can they do? That's the thing. That's the thing. I don't know who can stop that offense other than themselves not shooting the ball well but they find ways to still score. If one guy's not hitting it, like I said, all five guys can put the ball in the hoop. You can't double team anyone on that team because anyone can kill you. And that's the thing. Like, I don't know if Texas has that. This is different than last year. They were outmatched because up front, um, they just didn't have the, the size and the strength to, to compete against Kansas. And that's ultimately what was their downfall this year, even though they're not tall, they don't get dominated up front. They still handle their business up front. And Omir is a force. So they have no weaknesses, especially on the offensive side. Defensively, they're very disruptive. There's a couple of things they do. They create a lot of turnovers. Not only that, but when they create turnovers, they score off those turnovers, probably as efficiently as any team in the country. So when they do turn the ball over, they make you pay for it. 
And secondly, on that, on the back end of that as well, it's very hard for them when they do create turnovers, they get back and they have great transition defense. So they're going to put you on the line to make you earn those points. Also, offensively, they attack the rim. They're going to put you in foul trouble likely. At least they're going to go and try to, even if they're not getting the benefits of the calls. And they weren't getting the benefits of the calls against Indiana nor Houston. Still got to the line enough because they create the contact. They're not afraid of it. Very physical on both ends of the team. Texas is a very physical athletic team as well. Should be a good matchup, but it's different than last year. I don't think they're the team that's the out, as outmatched as they were last year. They don't necessarily have to play a perfect game to win this game. They just have to play enough of their game and do what they do, which is create turnovers, get in transition, and keep that point, keep that game in the 80s. And that's a wrap. It's, the game is going to be over 80. Miami's going to win. Mm. All right. We'll see what happens in Kansas City. Coach Ari is going to be, uh, let's just say, pacing back and forth and uh, and ranting and raving probably at some calls or non-calls at the TV. And we'll see if the Hurricanes on Sunday night are in Houston in the Final Four or not, or will it be Hook'em Horns heading there? We will find out in that one. Listen, you've given me great stuff. Uh, again, I always love uh, the insight. You've been uh, not only at the Big East Tournament at the Garden, but at these regionals, Sweet 16 and Elite Eight regionals over and over and over again. Just one more quick comment. It never gets dull to be in and around the world's <laughs> most famous arena and watch a team go to the Final Four, right? And now it's the Florida oh, Atlantic Owls that you got to watch do this. A really just a fun weekend, to be honest with you, to be able to to be out here. Uh, and, you know, very grateful and thankful that I have this opportunity to be able to see these games up close in person. It's just a lot of fun. And, you know, I have friends and family that went to FAU that were at this game and they're, you know, jealous of where I'm sitting, but you know, I'm, I'm jealous of them because they get to experience it as a fan. And I'm like, I hope I get them happy as tomorrow for Miami. So we'll see on yep. Sunday. We will see that on Sunday. All right. Great work. Thank you for the insight right. inside the garden. I appreciate it. My friend on college Thank basketball, coast to coast. Thank you. The conversation shall continue in a moment with more on what happened with UConn beating Gonzaga and what will happen Sunday. We're in the preview mode for San Diego State and Creighton. Stand by for that. If you are looking, however, to go to any of these games, including on Sunday, if you're hearing us and getting ready for these matchups and you don't have your tickets yet and you're in the Louisville area, you're in the Kansas City area, take advantage of with our friends at Ticket Smarter of a great offer that we have for this weekend and the Final Four in Houston, Texas. That is Ticket Smarter, who has got the most competitive prices on the secondary market. They've got a 100% customer satisfaction guarantee. Your purchase will be safe. Their pricing is outstanding. Their selection is outstanding. And we've got a special offer with our promo code HOOPS23. Take $50 off your order of at least $400 or more. The get-in price is steep in both Louisville and also in Kansas City, and it will be obviously in Houston for the Final Four. So use our promo code HOOPS23 with Ticket Smarter and the mobile app and get $50 off your order of at least $400 or more. Find out more about why everybody is going to Ticket Smarter for the competitive prices, uh, for the great customer service. Uh, again, your price and your uh, purchase is guaranteed 100% safely through the Ticket Smarter technology. Download the app, Ticket Smarter. Think Smarter, Ticket Smarter, and $50 off your ticket order here through the March Madness run uh, that is headed to the Final Four in Houston, even for those Final Four games and the national title games. $50 off your order of $400 or more 
with our promo code HOOPS23. HOOPS23 gets you 50 bucks off your order of $400 or more. Think smarter, ticket smarter. As promised, I also love this man's insight. I designate him as like the West Coast Bureau Chief for all that's going on. Great historian of college basketball, national writer uh, for many years on the sport, has been helping me with all of my podcast endeavors, including college basketball coast to coast on a podcast form and uh, streaming on TuneIn as, as also part of the USC uh, Trojans Wire website and the USA Today family of websites. So he has great feel for the West, Pac-12, and everything that goes on, Mountain <clears throat> West, et cetera. Hello, Matt Zimmick. We have two pieces now to the Final Four with what UConn did to Gonzaga. Two more pieces tomorrow to go to Houston, Texas. Good to be with you late night on Saturday night. Uh, as you said to me, things are new, new blood involved. We've got Florida Atlantic in a Final Four. We're going to have either San Diego State or Creighton in a Final Four tomorrow. But some national championship blood looked really good in the West Regional Final in Las Vegas. UConn blows away Gonzaga. So welcome. And let's begin right there with your thoughts on why they were so impressive. Well, I mean, UConn's a wrecking ball. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. And, you know, you could say, you know, that in a parity-laden field, a wide-open field where, you know, we have none of the number one seeds making it to the Elite Eight and we had only one number two seed making the Elite Eight, that, you know, UConn certainly had the natural talent, the ability, the components to make a run, and, and you're seeing it. So, like, you know, if we – if this was another year, if this was a year in which you had a heavyweight one seed, you know, then UConn being a four could have been a problem, but not this year. And, you know, it's interesting to draw the comparison that 2011 UConn, because that was a, a number three seed uh, and that went to Houston for the final four, that was a team that struggled the whole season pretty much and then got hot with Kemba Walker yes. at Madison Square Garden. Not the same story at all with this UConn team. This was a team that dominated – the non-conference portion of the season. It was one of the three remaining unbeaten teams with Purdue and New Mexico heading into New Year's Eve when it lost its first game to Xavier. Uh, and it had a very competitive Big East conference. And Marquette was able to figure out uh, UConn in conference play. But like you can make a very clear delineation that it, against non-conference opponents, teammates, uh, teams that weren't used to seeing all that size, all that length, all that power, all that depth, that UConn can put on the floor, like that was a horrendous matchup for non-conference opponents. Now in, in conference play where you're familiar with the personnel, you can scout, you play teams twice a year, you know, it, it was a different deal. And it was the grind of the season. And UConn certainly went through some, some rough patches, but it's nothing like the 2011 team. That was like the magic carpet ride. And just Kemba Walker, you know, starting in early March, and carrying it for a month, just Kemba Walker playing in God mode, carrying a team. This is a whole effort. This is Sonogo. This is you know a, a whole host of different players, front court and back court. You know, fr freshman guards are hitting shots, uh, and when that happens, like you know, good luck, good luck dealing with yep. this team. You know, and if, as long as the guards continue to hit a reasonable percentage of shots when we go to the big stadium in Houston. Uh, for Final Four weekend, you know, it's going to be really hard. And I would say on a, on a larger overall level that UConn and Texas, very clearly the two best teams left in the field. And so if Miami upsets Texas, 
then UConn goes to Houston as the unquestioned favorite to cut down the nets. Well, and uh, again, you gave me a lot there, and I can't I can't emphasize any more than what you just did. They were really good uh, right up until about the middle of the Big East season. Then they swooned. But then they began to kick it back into gear, and now uh, we have seen really starting with the second half of the Iona game. They were in some trouble against Iona in game number one, and you know this. I see you nodding as we can see each other. And they scored 50 points in the second half of that game in Albany. And ever since that second half, they have been lights out shooting and scoring for five halves, basically, uh, continuing into, if I have my number of halves correct, or is it seven halves? It's seven halves. They have been outstanding since the next game uh, that they won uh, against St. Mary's. And then these two games in Las Vegas, they have made shots. I mean, they made 11 threes. Gonzaga shot two of 20. And UConn, extra pass for easy baskets. Uh, again, they are clicking. They are clicking. That's what I saw. Give me a thought or two. Uh, Gonzaga, I mean, the foul trouble of Drew Timmy was large. It wasn't everything, but to not have him there, in your mind, how big of a factor was that? Because that's that's where UConn started the run in the second half, and the you know, 11, 12, 13-point game became 22, and it's basically over. Well, the first thing to say is that UConn was already up 10 and in very much in control of that game. So it's not as though it was like the deciding factor, but it ended Gonzaga's hopes of making a comeback. Like that's that's how I think you'd uh, basically describe that. And, you know, Gonzaga, you know, it was already at a size disadvantage. And, you know, this was not a, remember, we have to pull back and remember this was not a dominant Gonzaga team. Won a lot of games recently and, you know, figured out St. Mary's over the course of the WCC season, you know, delivering the beatdown in the WCC tournament final, but lost to St. Mary's in the middle of the regular season. And this was a number three seed. Uh, Gonzaga had, was scratching and clawing to barely win close games in the WCC at San Francisco at BYU. BYU wasn't especially good this year. Uh, so, like, you know, this was not. Uh, one of those top tier teams and it's a bitter point of irony for UCLA and its fans that you know it, that that this Gonzaga team so much weaker than the Chet Holmgren and Andrew Nembhard team was still able to beat the Bruins with that remarkable second half comeback I mean that's one that really got away from the Bruins and Mick Cronin and, and gosh I know that Jalen Clark being out would have been probably would have been significant and UConn probably still wins this West Regional in Las Vegas, but you know UCLA had the defense. UCLA had the toughness that Gonzaga did not. UCLA could have put up a fight, even shorthanded, uh, against this UConn team, but Gonzaga not nearly in the same league. Gonzaga needed a Chet Holmgren out there, along with Drew Timmy, to be seriously competitive in this game. It was really surprising that that the line was just two and a half points. And a lot of people jumped on it. And, you know, this was where the public was definitely uh, correct. And, like, you yeah. could see this yeah. coming. And 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 it, and it points to a larger reality with UConn that, you know, when it clicks, it clicks. And, and, and UConn is now in its uh, sixth Final Four. UConn's going for its fifth national title. Like, North Carolina, Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, <laughs> they've been in a trillion Final Fours. Sure. And they're not that far ahead of UConn in the national title count. UConn could tie Duke. UConn could tie Duke with five national titles in, what, a third of the final fours? Of 
one fourth of the Final Fours. I don't know the exact math, but something right, like right. that. When you when it all clicks for UConn, it just all happens at once. And the other note, it's impossible to ignore this. Got to toss this out. Is that on the day that the UConn women have their string of fourteen straight Final Fours snapped? The men come back to the Final Four after nine years away. Like UConn, no basketball fan base, men and women, has had a more charmed existence the past twenty-eight years since nineteen ninety-five, the first of Gino's uh, uh, women's titles. No fan base has had a better existence the past twenty-eight years than UConn. That's why I love this man's perspective. Matt Zimmick with me. It's college basketball coast to coast. Find him at Matt Zimmick, Z-E-M-E-K. USC Trojans Wire is the website uh, that he primarily writes for Pac-12 and more. But I love his insight on college basketball coast to coast from the historical perspective, the West Coast perspective. We are talking San Diego State Sunday game with Creighton coming up in a moment or two. But uh, one, one final thing here. Uh, and you love the symmetry of these things. The last time we did not have a number one seed in the final four was 2011. Now, we knew we didn't have one in the Elite Eight. That's the first time that it ever happened. But the last time no number one seeds in the final four is 2011. Final four won by UConn. UConn final four in, Texas. in Houston, Texas, in the very same facility. Same city. If, yes. if you, if you, in the same facility in NRG yes. Stadium, different name. Yes. So if you believe in omens and what's happened before and history repeating itself, the stage is set for Connecticut uh, rolling through here as a four seed to do what they did before. And TJ, let me just stop you right there. We could have, like in 2011 in Houston, so you could have UConn marching to a title and you could have an all-mid-major national semifinal if – San Diego State beats Creighton. You would have right. San Diego State against Florida Atlantic. What did we have in 2011? We had Butler against VCU. So the symmetry is just all right there. Yep. It's just it's just amazing. It's uncanny. The, the more we watch, the less we know, and sometimes it repeats. Um, okay, so a couple of things. Uh, just give me a quick thought on Florida Atlantic. Give me like 30 seconds because Ari Russell talked to us a bunch on this podcast, but I don't want the rest of Saturday to get away here without you saying something about FAU basically unheralded. Uh, even while winning Conference USA, even while uh, being in the top 25, unheralded for the most part nationally, not unheralded anymore after what they've done. That's me saying that. Just say something about Dusty May's team real quick because they are another piece of this Final Four. Okay, so TJ, I know you're going to be on site at Houston with college basketball coast-to-coast at the upcoming Final Four. You have to do some digging. You have to unearth uh, the answer to this question. When was the last time a program with zero NCAA tournament wins went to the Final Four? Got it. We got to get an answer. It's to a that great question because I can't. Yeah, I haven't I, seen that. Like I, I haven't can't seen come that up tonight. With the the off only the top thing of my head with anything. The only thing I have seen tonight is, and this is obvious, they are the first team with five or fewer NCAA tournament games to make a Final Four. So I would have to think it's more than likely that they're the first ones to have never won a tournament game and then make a Final Four. But they are the first ever to have five or fewer. They have five. They have one previous tournament appearance to make a Final Four with only you know five tournament games, four of them yeah. being this year. So yeah. just so just remarkable. And they've got, they've got tremendous talent, uh, and they showed it again against Kansas State. Real quick. Now just I'd be interested to see, like, 
when was the last time that happened? Like, was it in the 1940s? Was it in the 1950s? Was it the 1960s? I'm just going to be fascinated by the answer to that. But I know that you're going to dig it up and be the super sleuth at college basketball coast to coast. And again, FAU puts it on uh, Kansas State. And now they will await the winner of the first game up on Sunday. We're in the preview mode as well on college basketball coast to coast. It's San Diego State and Creighton. Say a few words about what San Diego State did to Alabama and what Creighton did in the nightcap and how impressive they were. And now they meet each other. The floor is yours for a moment or two here. Give me more on this matchup. Somebody goes to the final four. Well, in in talking about what San Diego State did against Alabama, I'd like to draw a parallel to what Florida Atlantic did against Kansas State. You know, Florida Atlantic was down by six midway through the second half. And you're thinking, uh, power conference team is going to take charge. Well, San Diego State, was down nine with about 11 minutes left against Alabama, 48-39. You're thinking, well, this ship is sailing. And no, San Diego State then pulls it right back. It's a quick 8-0 run. Brandon Miller commits two turnovers. The Aztecs' defense just, you know, shuts down Alabama. Alabama scored like five points in an eight-minute span of time. So, you know, part of the parity and part of the balance in this year's world of college basketball, but particularly this NCAA tournament bracket, it means that if a higher seed has a lead of six to nine points midway through the second half, it's not tap city. It's not game over. You know, if you have a heavyweight one seed, you know, like 2009 North Carolina or other great teams from NCAA tournaments past who could just bring down the hammer, yes, it would be game over, but you don't have that world in college basketball this year. So San Diego State was able to just make a comeback. And so in terms, and, and Creighton just had, size and length and power that uh princeton didn't know how it how to to uh combat in that other uh, regional semifinal in louisville so as we go to this game here uh i think the biggest key tj is matt bradley uh, certainly from the san diego state vantage point and you you know as well as i do and like tom Izzo, roy williams the great ncaa tournament coaches they all talk about two game tournaments and Izzo would talk about how hey, guys, if you, my players, can win the first game on the weekend, I'll win the second one. And so there's a conscious reality of two-game tournaments and getting through that first one to play the second one. So Matt Bradley, he was two of nine for just six points. He had a generally bad game. He was in foul trouble, picked up four fouls. So San Diego State winning on a night when Matt Bradley did not play well against Alabama you would have to think that Bradley is going to bring it, that he's going to be really good for the Aztecs. And, of course, he will need to be good. Like, it, it it strains, you know, reason to think that San Diego State can win two games against really good opponents with Matt Bradley playing poorly in both games. So if Matt Bradley goes off and after having a bad, thir- uh, a bad Friday, he has a strong Sunday, San Diego State's going to be right there with a chance to win in the end. And the other thing to note uh, about this matchup, at least from San Diego State's vantage point, is that when Princeton threw the 1-3-1 zone at Creighton midway through the second half, when it was getting shredded in man, uh, Creighton didn't know what to do. (laughs) So you you have to wonder that San Diego State is a man-to-man defensive team. Brian Dutcher, you know, just loves to teach dogged man-to-man defense. He's great at it. He's great at coaching effort. Um, But will, will he throw a junk defense? at Creighton just to give the Jays a little bit of a different look. I'm not predicting that he will, but it's well, you have to believe he's it's, a great point. it's a great he's point. Notice you, on film. You have to believe they've looked at it. 
and they've probably gone back and looked at other San Diego State games and, and or I'm sorry, at other um, Creighton games and how did they perform if somebody threw something similar at them. And you got to believe they at least worked on it a little bit on the day in between here Saturday as we tape. Um, it worked on something to maybe throw at them for a segment of the game. We're not suggesting you're not suggesting do it for a whole half, but you might throw it at them like at the under 12 minute timeout or the under 16 minute timeout to see what does it do. Uh, I have a I have a, a a friend and colleague that's a former assistant coach, and his famous New York accent was "Get them out of whack, get them out of whack, somehow right. get them out of whack," and that and that's what you're <laughs> looking for here to throw yes. them off with a full court press. With a two-two-one, something like that, throw them off with a half-court one-three-one, and get them out of whack. We will see uh, if that is uh, if that is what San Diego State elects to do in this game. And again, the winner gets into the final four. Hey, just say one more thing. Give me a quick answer on this. this I mean, everybody's deserving to this point, and anybody that wins this game is deserving in the tournament. But San Diego State's the regular season champs of the Mountain West, a top twenty-five program for much of this year, won the conference tournament. I mean, they are legit Western brand. I get that most of the country in the East and the Central time zone doesn't know a ton about them. They know about Gonzaga and UCLA in the West, but this is a legit Western brand, and you're in the West and can speak to that more. And if they make this, uh, I mean, yes, it's wide open and it's crazy, but this is as solid a Western team as what there's been uh, and they and they've had a a really good season this year. So just follow up on that, please. Yeah, I mean, you know, let's remember San Diego State had a guy. Uh, people might remember uh, his name was uh, Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> I think he could play basketball a little yeah. bit. And yes, the Aztecs were a number two seed in 2011, but they ran into Kemba Walker and UConn. We talked about earlier on this show at College Basketball Coast to Coast. And let's also remember. In the 2020 NCAA tournament, the tournament that never got played because of the pandemic, you know, that was a year when Dayton could have been a one seed. It was a year when uh, Florida State could have been a one seed and was a mainline national championship contender. San Diego State was also in contention for a number one seed that year. And the, the Aztecs didn't get a chance to strut their stuff along with Florida State and Dayton, those other unheralded teams you know Dayton with the Obi Toppin team you know that had a chance to do something historic it was a real bummer that, that I mean whenever the NCAA tournament it's a bummer but that one in particular because you had three non-traditional uh powerhouses all with a chance so San Diego State was one of them how different would the conversation surrounding San Diego State be right now if the 2020 NCAA tournament was played and San Diego State had made the Final Four as a one seed or a two seed, you know, we don't know that. So, like, that, th those are some reminders about how good San Diego State's been the past 15 years or so. Yeah, and again, it, just, it bears emphasizing, if you're in the West, Matt's in the Phoenix area, if you are in Northern California, if you are in, even in Seattle, if you're in Western markets, you know about these guys, the Mountain West markets in particular, whether you're talking about Albuquerque, New Mexico, whether you're talking about Laramie, Wyoming, Reno, Nevada, they know about these guys. These guys have been terrorizing the Mountain West for the better part of about 15 years with Steve Fisher and now Brian Dutcher. So the rest of the country finding out more about them. Alabama found out the hard way about them on Friday, and let's see if they can make it through to the Final Four. Remaining moment or two, 
We're also previewing Sunday. Ari talked a bunch about Miami and Texas. Give me a quick answer on what you think that comes down to. I know the DSU injury is we don't know the answer. Can he play? Is he ruled out? If he does play, he's probably not very effective. That's one of their best scorers. Texas didn't need him. They still beat Xavier even without him playing the other night. So maybe it's that injury. What else? What else stands out from this matchup before they play it late Sunday in Kansas City? Well, TJ, you know, if you look at Miami's journey through the NCAA tournament to get to this point, the one team that figured out how to defend the Hurricanes was Drake in the first round. And Miami needed a very late run. Miami was down 55-47 with around uh, four minutes left. Miami needed that a real late run to survive that game against Drake. And that was a night when the Miami guards, Isaiah Wong in particular, were just not on their game, not fluid, not in rhythm. So it really comes down to can Texas's defense knock those Miami guards off balance, get them off their game. That's the centerpiece of that particular matchup. And just to kind of set the stage here. So if Miami beats Texas, we're going to have the first ever Final Four since seeding began in 1979 with zero top three seeds in the Final Four. And we get a Jim Laranega UConn rematch Ooh. 17 years Ooh. after George Mason. Juicy. So very juicy if Miami beats Texas. And if Texas wins, well, we get something very great too. We get uh, Texas and UConn, probably the two best teams left in the field. And we, if Texas wins, we get a Steve Fisher 1989 Final Four storyline. The interim coach at Michigan trying to win the national championship. Uh, with Rodney Terry in Texas. So either way, UConn against Miami, UConn wow. against Texas, that second semifinal, because you know it's going to be the second game uh, next Saturday. Either way, that's a very sexy second semifinal. All right, and here's here's one more thing, because we didn't talk to him about it this time. We've talked to him several times about this in and around it happening, and you may have been on some of these interviews and some of these conversations. If it comes to it, and you may see the highlights Sunday afternoon of Larinaga's George Mason team beating UConn 17 years ago. I love I love when you and I go nostalgia, and now I'm going to give you some nostalgia. So that was in what is now the Verizon Center uh, or yep. the Capital One Arena or whatever they call it in Washington, D.C. It may have been the Verizon Center in D.C. in 2006. If they show the last second play again where UConn misses the shot with Rudy Gay, George Mason has won the game, is going to the Final Four, those players come over to the near sideline near their fans. They get up on the table, the press row table, and our Ari Russell is right there with the GW, with the GM guys, the George Mason guys, right over the top of him, right when all of that happened. He really thought they were going to come crashing. A lot of those media guys were concerned. They're going to come crashing right on top of us trying to get to their fans. So that clip may become even more prevalent, especially if Miami wins. And that was 17 years ago. And 17 years later, he may taste it again after beating number one UConn, the number one team in the country. Now it's Texas that's as hot as anybody. And you make a great point about Rodney Terry as the interim coach. We keep saying this on the show. We said it uh, before you came on uh, for the Friday night show into Saturday. If, if they win this game, and they get to the final four. How do you not give him the job at this point, especially when he's a previous 10-year assistant at Texas under Rick Barnes? He's back as an assistant again and now winning as an interim coach. By the way, he had, speaking of the Mountain West, Matt knows this, he had Fresno State, Rodney Terry, in the NCAA tournament. 
How Matt, give me a quick, quick take. How did they not give him the job if Texas wins and they make the final four? They got to name him the head coach. They got to. Yeah, after winning this game to get to the final four, not before. Like you, you all right. Like the players, the players are playing really hard for Terry as though they know that, hey, if we keep winning, Rodney Terry is going to be named the permanent head coach. So you don't step in now. Right, right. Like you don't mess up that vibe. You just let it unfold. You let the players keep playing. And the but, important, then, but then and, going into Houston for the final four, then I think you can say sure. permanent job. And, and now, the important comparison, let me coach. interrupt, is Fisher. They uh, Bo Schimbeckler, remember, famously said the line with Bill Frieder, a Michigan man's going to coach Michigan. They didn't give Fisher the job until they had won it, to your point, in 1989. They didn't name him the permanent head coach until they had won it. But in this case with Texas, I think it'd be a really neat thing before the Final Four. They probably won't do it. You make a great point. Just let it ride and then give it to him afterwards. But for right now, my Lord, what else does he have to demonstrate uh, that he could be the guy um, with the job he's done as the interim coach. Again, the Sunday games will be San Diego State Creighton first just after 2 Eastern time in Louisville, Miami, Texas, and the Midwest in Kansas City right around 5.30-ish, give or take, Eastern time. Two more spots in the final four. San Diego State or Creighton gets Florida Atlantic, which no one had that matchup. Nobody. And then Miami and Texas, the winner to get UConn, coming up one more time thank you you're always great to give me insight uh especially on the western teams i will catch up with you again as we unfold with the final four but for now matt zimmick thank you for helping me late saturday into sunday on college basketball coast to coast with the insight and analysis sir thank you again thank you and there we go. That will do it for this edition of College Basketball Coast to Coast. Many thanks to Ari Russell back at the beginning of the show inside the Garden for the East Regional Final won by Florida Atlantic, a bracket that had Purdue and Marquette and Kansas State and Duke and Tennessee and Kentucky ends up with Florida Atlantic as a nine seed, the first a nine seed to get this far since Wichita State was a nine seed and got in the 2013 tournament. Remarkable. Ari did a great job of recapping that. Follow him at Ari Russell on social media. Thanks also to Matt Zimmick uh, with the USC Trojans Wire website. And Matt, a great historian and a great national college basketball voice and analyst uh, here with all the insight talking about UConn's big win over Gonzaga and what will happen with San Diego State coming Sunday. Two more games to go. San Diego State, Creighton, and Louisville. That's up first just after 2 Eastern time. Then after somewhere after about a 5.30 Eastern time or so, they'll get game two, the final piece of the final four, Texas and Miami underway. That one in Kansas City, where the Longhorns just a couple of weeks ago won the Big 12 tournament on that same floor, blowing away Kansas. Will they now clinch the Midwest Regional on the same floor and get back to the Final Four for the first time uh, since 2003? Miami's never been to the Final Four. San Diego State's never been to the Final Four. Creighton's never been to the Final Four. We could have some real new blood uh, coming to this Final Four, including with Florida Atlantic right now. Let's see what happens with those games. We gave you great previews. We'll be back on Sunday night into Monday with a recap of whatever happens between the Aztecs and the Blue Jays in Louisville and the Hurricanes and the Longhorns, Hook'em Horns, 
in Kansas City. For now, we are good. For Ari Russell and for Matt Zimmick, I'm merely TJ Reeves. Follow or subscribe to this podcast. You get it automatically on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. You get us automatically if you follow or subscribe. Find us on the streaming TuneIn channel. We are college basketball coast to coast, and we look forward to talking about the final four. We will know the final four teams the next time we come to you with a show. And we'll be live in Houston on college basketball coast to coast.